All right, so today, guys, we're in Amos. We're into our third lesson now. We're going to be looking at chapters 3 through 4, and we're going to see Amos talking about condemnation. He's going to be pointing out what was wrong with Israel. There's some things we can learn from this. And then we're going to be looking at God's discipline, all right? How he disciplines the nation. And again, there's some things we can learn from this as well. So we're going to start off with chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, and we're going to talk about his condemnation of them. So the first thing I want you to notice is, you know, Israel's relationship with the Lord. So he's going to talk a little bit about his relationship with the Lord. And so, so Amos calls the people to listen to the word of the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. So typically when a prophet or, well, they would all be identified as prophets. Typically when a leader is trying to draw their attention to who God is, they want to remind them of who God is. And he's the one who brought Israel out of where? Out of the slavery of Israel, okay, and gave them the land. So it's kind of reminding them, hey guys, I'm going to remind you of the Lord, all right? I'm going to, this is a message from him. Pay attention. Out of all the nations, the Lord proclaims that he has only known them. All right, now this is a very, very important verse, okay? So I want you to uh, look at verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Think about that for a moment. So God is saying, out of all the people groups, out of all the ethnicities, out of all the nations, nations as we have them today is more of a modern phenomenon the last few hundred years with borders. This time it was more tribal, okay, more uh, ethnicities and so forth, but it still has implications for us today. God is saying, out of everybody else, I only knew you, Israel. All right, now, what do you think about that? Does that bother you? I see some scowls, like you got some thoughts going, but... Yes, okay. Okay, so he had an intimate relationship with them. He only knew them, but he didn't have an intimate relationship with anybody else. Okay, that's good, Bruce. Anybody else? What are your thoughts, how are your feelings on it? Yeah, but you only have an intimate relationship with him now, Tim, because of who? Yeah, because of Jesus dying on a cross. If that hadn't happened, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross and made his salvation open to us who are Gentiles, where would we be then? Yeah, you, you said it, uh, Tim and Danny, hell. Yeah, we're, we're headed to hell. So we were included, which is why the Jews had a really hard time accepting the gospel because of their prejudice towards non-Jewish people. Did you understand what I'm saying? And because they... They were ready to accept him as being Messiah, but when you include the Gentiles in this, just read the book of Acts. They were like, 
you're out of here. They're, they're upset. They're trying to kill Paul and so forth with his message. So the reality is, is God only had a relationship with Israel, period. And that's true to this day. Now, we are included because of who? Jesus. I'll give you an example. When you go over to Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, Paul gives the illustration of the vine, of the root, that of the olive tree, and of course he broke off some of the branches who rejected, but he grafted in wild olive branches. Do you know who the wild olive branches are that he grafted into the root? Yeah, it's us. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's us. We are the wild olive branches. And then it says he will graft back in the ones who were torn off, meaning Israel, again, will be grafted back in. Why? Because they'll recognize who the Messiah is and, and come to him. So I just wanted us to re realize from the beginning, God's saying, you are my people. You, Israel. My focus is you, okay? My focus is you. So because of this exclusive relationship, though, he'll punish them for their iniquities. Now, how do you feel about that? Okay, they should know better, Bruce says. He's saying, because I only know you, I have a relationship with you, I'm going to punish you for your iniquities. How do you feel about that? What do you think about that? Does that seem normal? You need help thinking about it. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So we had a skate thing yesterday. Let's say there's a couple there with their kids. And they got one child that's acting up and, and being destructive or so forth. And maybe he's being destructive there. And everybody else is like, oh, I wish somebody would do something about him. But we would be more like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. But mom and dad are like, wait till you get home. You know what I'm saying? And they discipline him when he gets home. Now, the rest of us are kind of like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's all right. It's a, we, we can take care of that. You've heard people do that, right? Why is it that the parents are able to have the discipline? Why can they do the discipline? Because they have the what with him? The relationship, right? The interaction. God says, same thing. I only know you. I have a relationship with you. You're not doing right. Therefore, I, your father, will what? Discipline you for your iniquity. Do you understand? He's not going to let us go. Now, that has implications for you and I, right? What do you mean for you and I? What do you mean implications for us? Sometimes we think that forgiveness is a blank card to do whatever we want. But if you're a part of God's family, does he let you do whatever you want? Well, yeah, you can do whatever you want. But does he, because of the relationship, I, take us to the woodshed, right, Tim? Okay. Yeah, not the woodshed, God, but take us to the woodshed, right? He, he disciplines us in ways, right? Okay. This is what God's saying. I know you. you I have a relationship with you. And because of your iniquity, I'm going to discipline you. Okay? Because of your iniquity, I'm going to discipline you. So the Lord asks a series of rhetorical questions to express his sovereignty. So what he does is he goes through here. Look with me at verse 3 through 6. 
and he's going to ask some questions that the answer is obvious, okay? So here's what he says. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? And if there is calamity in the city, will not the Lord have done it? So he's asking a bunch of questions that are obvious, but it gets to the final point is, when there's a problem, folks, because I have this relationship with you, it came from who? Me. Yeah, I brought it to you, okay? I brought it to you. So here's what he's going to express. He's going to express several things that are very important for you and I to understand. So he's getting ready to tell them, I'm going to do something, but I've let others know. What do you mean? Well, the Lord expresses that he does nothing without revealing his plans to the prophets. So it's not like God's holding back on some secret agenda. He tells the prophets what he's going to do. Look with me at verse 7. He says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And the whole point he's making is, just so you don't think like, where did that come from? Why is God acting that way? He's saying, hey, I've warned you. I've told you a long time that if you went down this path, this was going to happen. This isn't something new. This isn't a reaction. I've warned you. I've warned you through my what? Prophets, okay? They've been telling you. And folks, when you look at it, this is about A.D. This is sometime in about A.D. It's in the 8th century. So it's sometime in the 700s B.C., if you think about that, the time, many centuries before that, when Moses, when he talked to them before they entered into the promised land, he gave them the cursings and the blessings. He told them, when we looked at that, it was like he told them, look, if you guys depart from me and if you do all this, this is what's going to happen. And he basically said, you're going to do that. And so it's like he's revealed it. God's saying he's being forthright. So then here's what the prophet does. It's about the lion roaring again. He started off the prophecy this way. He's going to mention it again. Amos proclaims that the Lord has roared. Therefore, he can't do anything but proclaim it. So Amos is saying, I can't do anything but proclaim what God is saying. He's roared, and that roar is, is, is he's pronounced judgment. And I can only but proclaim it. So here's what we're going to see now. When we get to verses 9 to 10, we're going to see their moral decadence, okay? So here's what happens. The Lord calls the nations, that's the nations who are surrounding Israel, to come and observe the condition of Israel. So it's like he's saying, okay, other nations, I want you to pay attention. Pay attention to Israel. See what their condition is. And here's what their condition is, Okay? Israel no longer knows what is right and it has stored up violence 
and robbery. So God's people no longer know what is right. They no longer know what's right to do anymore. That's a pretty bad state to be in when you're in a condition where you no longer know what the right thing is. And what they've stored up, and basically that means is, is that they're continually doing it. It means they've, they've, that's, that's, that, you know, they're storing up these actions to be judged. And that is they've stored up violence, violence towards who? Everyone. Violence towards each other. And what? Robbery. They're trying to steal from each other. That's not a good, that's, that's not a good culture, is it? How'd you like to live in that kind of culture? Do you know what I'm saying? Where nobody knows what's right anymore and we just do violence and we rob from each other. So here comes, in verses 11 through 15, the coming catastrophe. It's the judgment that's coming. So here, the Lord announces an adversary will sap their strength and plunder their palaces. So there's this coming adversary, and we know it's going to be the Assyrians because it's the northern kingdom we're talking about. They're going to sap their strength. Now, what that means, it's a picture of they're going to kill all of their warriors. That's the strength of a nation is its army. He's going to sap your strength, and he's going to plunder their palaces. What does that mean? When they have complete victory, they're going to take everything they can as spoils and from their palaces. Nothing is secure anymore. To answer those who believe in God's help for the nation... Amos brings God's word. So what's happening then as this calamity is happening, and we see this happening today too, okay? It's been true throughout history. When God is getting ready to do something, it's it's in judgment, and the prophets are speaking, hey, pay attention, God's going to do something. It's because we've got to get right. There's always a group of other prophets. There's always another group of people that believe, oh, God's going to rescue us. God, don't, don't pay attention that what, what, God's going to take care of us. He's going to bless us. He's going to bring about good things. Well, Amos has a response for them from the Lord. Don't listen to those people who say things are going to be okay. God's going to, going to, going to take care of you. He's saying God has a word for you. Now, what's that word? Well, the chance of the Lord's help is like a shepherd finding a few remains of an animal taken by a lion. So here's what he does. He said, it's kind of like a shepherd who had one of their sheep taken by a lion. And so he goes out looking for the, looking to bring back that sheep. And, you know, rather than be optimistic, there's, he's only got realism. So when he goes back, all he finds are a few scraps, maybe an ear. Maybe a hoof. And that's all that's left. There's no optimism there that he's going to bring back the lamb if it's been taken by a what? A lion. You know what I'm saying? And so where's the optimism in that? There is no optimism. There is no help there. He's basically saying to them, don't listen to these guys who tell you everything's going to be okay. The chance of the Lord's help is not good. God's not going to bring help. So the Lord will bring judgment on the altars of Bethel and the palaces of Israel. So here's what I want you to remind you. Remember when Jeroboam I started the northern kingdom? They broke off from Rehoboam, who was the son of, of Solomon, took the northern 
10 tribes and started their own nation. He didn't want the Israels, Israelis, going back to Jerusalem every year for the feast. So he set up two golden calves and said to them, this is the Lord your God who brought you out of Israel. He set up two golden calves for the northern tribe to worship to stay in the 10 tribes rather than going down to Jerusalem. And so even up to this point, those golden calves still existed, and the northern tribes still went there and made their offerings thinking that was Jehovah. And so God is saying, look, judgment is coming. I'm going to bring judgment on the altars of Bethel, on your altars there before these gods that you made that you are saying is me. It's not me. So judgment is coming. So here's what else happens. We get to chapter 4. All right, so this obviously wasn't written today because we wouldn't write this today. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It's it's pretty brutal, but remember, he's just a rough herdsman, okay? He doesn't know politically correct talk. Here's what he says. Hear this, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria. Cows of Bashan. Who is he talking to? Wealthy women in the northern kingdom. And here's what he's doing. He refers to the wealthy women of Israel as cows who oppress the poor. They're oppressing the poor. Remember, that was one of the things that has been a key part of his message because he interacts with the poor is because of their oppression of the poor. And so he's looking at these wealthy women, and look at what he says, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring wine, let us drink. They just want to have a party lifestyle. So God is speaking to these women. I was kind of shocked. I was like, whoa, cows, we don't use that today. Do you know what I'm saying? Cows of Bashan. Don't use that in town. Nobody will know what you're talking about, okay? But here's the thing. God is saying, the Lord has sworn that they will be carried away in exile with fish hooks. What? Fish hooks. Now, when we think of a fish hook, <clears throat> we're thinking of the various sizes we have when we fish in the river or if we're fishing for trout or if you're going out deep sea fishing, you know what different sizes a fish hook to use. What do you mean he's going to carry them away with fish hooks? That's what we think. Well, it's a little bit different in their time. The fish hooks there are referring to something the Assyrians did. The Assyrians were a very brutal people. And when they went in and conquered an area, they took the people who were there, carried them away in exile, and took them somewhere else. The Babylonians did the same thing. The reasoning was, if you take people away from their land and take them somewhere else, they're going to be totally disoriented, and they're not going to fight for their land again because they're not there. You know, people will fight for their property that that belongs to them. But if you take them in exile away, okay, that's what they did. But here, they were brutal. How do they do that? Well, let's say I'm an Assyrian warrior, and I capture Rob. Rob gives up, okay? So I take him away in... With the rest of you, I've caught all of you. Here's what we would do. I would have a long line of rope. 
and we've got to carry you away. Your hands would be bound, and then they would have a hook that would go through your mouth, attached to a rope. You know what I'm saying? What you, a trout line. <laughs> yeah, a, a slave line, Rob, not a trout line, okay? Yeah. A trot line. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, a trot line is what he said. Well, I thought you said trout line, but that, yeah. So either way, the point is, that's not good, is it? He's saying to these women, God has brought judgment. You have been bad. You've not been doing good. You've been oppressing the poor. You're flagrant in your materialism. And God is bringing judgment. I've had enough. And you're going to be carried away into exile with fish hooks. What a vivid description of how they would be taken away. And that would be very torturous, right? Because, I mean, we're not talking about Assyria. We're talking hundreds of miles. And they're not giving you a horse to ride on. You've got to trek it alone yourself. And you're keeping up because you got something hooked into your mouth, right? Very evil and wicked. That's how wicked the, Ass the Assyrians were. That's how wicked they were. So the Lord tells him, go make your offerings to your meaningless gods. God says, okay, I'm telling this is coming, so go ahead. Go on, make your offerings. Go make your sacrifices. It's meaningless. Nothing's going to deter what's happening. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead. You believe in these other gods. They're not going to help you. And they don't. They don't help them. So the Lord states that he gave them, here it is, here's some unheeded disciplines. He gave them famine and drought, but they didn't respond. So what happens here with the prophet is, is he's going to go through a series of things that God brought to them, but they refused to repent. He was disciplining them, but rather than recognizing the discipline, they just kept going on. And as these things were happening, they could have repented and turned back to the Lord, but they refused to do it. So the first thing was, he said he gave them famine and drought, but they did not respond. The Lord struck their agriculture with blight and locusts, but they did not respond. So they're mildew or something, or blight on their, on their vegetables or whatever, on their plants, or what was left there, their trees would be devastated by the locust plagues that would come in. But they didn't respond. They didn't cry back out to the Lord. They just kept doing what they were doing. The Lord struck them with a plague. A pandemic, folks, okay? A disease. And he struck them with death. And guess what? They did not respond. They didn't turn to the Lord. You see what God is bringing these disasters to try to get them to return back to him. But guess what? They're not responding. They're not repenting. He's turning up the heat, isn't he? Okay? He's turning up the heat. And so guess what? Because they refused to listen, they were prepared. They were to prepare to meet their God. Because what's the next step? If you're not listening anymore, death, right? Get ready to meet your God. He's coming in judgment. Now, is there a lesson there for us? 
Anybody got any thoughts on that? Is there a lesson there? When you think about the heat that's being turned up on them, they keep refusing, they keep refusing, and then finally said, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm done. God says, I'm done. Prepare to meet me. What, what's the lesson there for us? Or do you not think there's a lesson? What's, take care of your stuff, meaning deal with your sin in your life. Okay, Bruce, okay. All right. Sometimes there, there's a limit with God, all right? Yeah, that's good, Rhonda. Do you guys believe that? There's a line where you can cross with God? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, that's good, Bruce, because if you think about it, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is the passage concerning the Lord's table, concerning communion. And he's telling them that they need to get themselves right before the Lord because he says to them, some of you are asleep already. What, they've, they've died in judgment. Asleep there is a word for death. God had to, because they weren't dealing with the stuff in their life and they, weren't, they were abusing themselves in the church, God took them out of the world. Okay? There is a line. This is what the prophet is trying to tell Israel. There's a line with the Lord. He's been warning you and warning you, and he's been bringing this and this, and you are not turning to who? God. So, all right, well, get ready. Get ready to meet your God. Now, does that make us feel uncomfortable? Yeah, it should, right? I mean, if we're indifferent to it, then that in itself is a scary thing, right? But there needs to be an element of fear, right? Because doesn't the scripture say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding? There needs to be an element of fear that I just can't do whatever I want to do. God, if I'm his child, is not going to let me do that. But if I refuse to listen, I need to get ready. So the Lord proclaims himself as creator and sovereign God, okay? So he's proclaiming himself here at the end because look at what he says. Right after he says, prepare to meet your God, here's what he says, verse 13. For behold, who has formed the mountains and created the wind? Who declares to man what his thought is and makes the morning darkness? Who treads on the high places of the earth? The Lord God of hosts is his name. So he's, he's proclaiming himself as sovereign because he's saying, okay, prepare to meet your God. And what he's basically saying is, just so you understand who you got to get ready to meet, this is who I am. The guy who created everything. The one who knows even your thoughts, who reveals them. That to me, folks, is the most scariest part of the judgment. Even though I know that I'm saved, is that God will reveal every secret, every thought, every idle word. So have you guys said something dumb this week? I know you have. Here's the one. Do you remember what you said? A lot of times we say dumb things we don't. Why? Because we continually say dumb things. Yeah, but every idle word Jesus said will be brought into judgment. I've got an answer for every dumb thing I've ever said. Isn't that, that just is, whoa. 
Prepare to meet your God and who is the Lord, okay? That's what we see here, okay? So now, next week, we're going to look at chapter 5 through a big section where God goes through a series of things that he wants to tell them.